Good morning, Memorial Church. I thank you for a very warm welcome to your church. I've traveled past your church often to attend meetings and uh, have never been inside. What a privilege to, to spend the Sabbath with you. Um, I've been asked to share just a little bit about my work. Uh, there's not much. I've worked for the church for about 30 years, 10 years, 11 years in pastoral ministry in South Africa, then immigrated to Australia to be introduced to a war zone. Uh, my first assignment was to develop, on behalf of ADRA, an intervention program in the heart of Cabramatta in 1999. In 1999, Cabramatta was the drug capital of Australia. But with God's blessing, very soon we became known as the most effective anti-drug agency that were operating. Within the first two months, 42 drug-related murders took place around us. Now, I promise you, we had nothing to do with those murders, but it did have an impact on us. Five years later, we developed the Blacktown Centre, which is still operating today, with a very special focus on working with crim criminals and rehabilitating them, and being able to show that from a spiritual, biblical perspective of therapeutic model, we can actually transform the lives and the trajectory of those people permanently. For the past, um, well, after that, so 10 years working in Greater Sydney after that, eight years in uh, South New South Wales Conference, part pastoral and part working in the conference, and then accepted a call to this conference where I've now been for the last two and a half years, first in pastoral work, now in uh, departmental work, as well as overseeing our depression anxiety recovery program for the whole of Australia. On that topic, by the way, I would like to recommend to you to attend your depression anxiety recovery program that's coming up shortly. And uh, as you leave the church, not right now, but after the message, uh, please sign up. There will be a sign-up form right there in the foyer. Make sure that you sign up for a life-changing program that will impact your life. Just a few months ago, I was preaching in one of our churches. I will not disclose where. And uh, after the sermon, a gentleman came up to me. I was standing at the, the door where we all exited, and a gentleman with his teenage daughter came up to me. He looked me in the eyes, held out his hand, and he, as I took his hand, he said to me, thank you for showing me God's love in Cabramatta. I said, what? Because I couldn't recognize this man. I said, what, excuse, what did you say? He said, I'm a member here of this church because of the work that the church has done on the streets of Cabramatta. And friends, 
I want to encourage you to attend this afternoon's program. I'm going to share stories of lives that have been transformed through ministries as the church has just engaged with people at the point of crisis in their life. And from time to time, it's my privilege to meet those people as they come up to me and share about lives transformed. Where the world out there says, we've given up on these people, God still has a way of breaking through. Let's bow our heads before we start with a message. Gracious Father, my prayer this morning is that I will disappear and that Jesus Christ would be uplifted. I pray that the message will come across interpreted by your Holy Spirit to every heart, that your message will be clear minus a man so that nothing will stand between the recipients of this message and the way that it's delivered. Lord, I pray that as you touch your people's hearts, please do not pass me by either. It's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, the topic of this morning's message is a retake on the lost. I love going back into well-known passages and prayerfully try and scratch to see whether there is more to be found. I guess my personal devotion in the morning has a lot to do with this because my morning devotion has nothing to do in preparation of a sermon. My morning devotion, when I'm alone with God and with a pure paper, paper book, because I do not trust electronic version, though I've got the Bible on my iPhone and iPad, through the night as I sleep, messages from overseas comes in, and the temptation is often there to quickly just read up on that important message that came through. So my morning, early morning devotion, five o'clock in the morning, is purely intended not to get a proof text, but is purely intended to hear God speak to me personally. Then my study, while my family is still asleep, I will go downstairs to my study, switch on the light, take out my paper Bible, and it often helps to read your Bible in a different language. I'd like to recommend that to you to try. Learn another language, friends, because once you put your mother tongue Bible down, as I had to do 20 years ago when I traveled over the ocean to Australia and picked up a third language Bible for me, suddenly I became aware of things that I've never seen before. This morning I'd like to invite you to come with me to a very, very well-known passage, a passage that as a church and as Christians, wider Christian church, we've preached on for so many times. The lost chapter. The, not that the chapter is lost, but that the things in it is, is lost. Luke chapter 15. And let's see whether God is willing 
to open up new avenues for us in one of those parables. Early morning, I would read only one story. I've got a special chair, which I call God's chair, and I invite him. Well, actually, I think God has been waiting every morning already for me. I didn't need to invite him. He's waiting for me to to get up at 5 o'clock and to go sit down. And as I've read the, the passage, sometimes just two or three verses, I will kick back and I will say, Lord, I've got some questions to ask you. It's quite interesting what happens when as you study the Word of God, you start to ask God's questions and you wait to hear Him speak into your mind. Luke chapter 15, the story of the prodigal son. Friends, before we start off, and I'm going to assume that you know the story, but I'm going to make references to certain verses, and I hope that you will follow in your Bible to make sure that my interpretation of Scripture is correct. Luke chapter 15, the story of the prodigal son is a story that we as a church so often have preached on. Am I correct? But this morning I want you to to come with a mindset of looking at this passage afresh and realize that God is dividing the whole of the human race in only two segments, two groupings. In other words, we either will find ourselves in the life of the younger brother in that prodigal son story, or we need to find ourselves in the story of the older brother. Now, hang on. This does not mean that all the young people in our midst, I'm so glad there are a few, that all the young people would be categorized by the younger brother, and all the older people in our midst would be categorized by the older brother. No, my friends, I'd like to suggest to you this morning that these two brothers actually stands representing our attitude towards the grace, the love, and the mercy of God. In other words, we will either act like the younger brother, or we will act like the older brother. Let's prayerfully consider into which category we would find ourselves today. You see, my friends, it is very easy to identify the the youngest son in this parable. We have been preaching about this young man for many years, and I would suggest that they are representatives of those that have drifted away from God and the church that has come to the place in their life where they had said, I have become of age, I want to make my own choices, I want to live my life as I want to. This grouping of people would often be identified by the so many people that I worked with in Cabramatta and Blacktown. 
In other words, people that are drug addicts, thieves, robbers, murderers, people that have come to the place in their life where they've made a decision and said that Christianity is not for me. I've tried it. It is too restrictive for me. I want to make choices of my own. Might be represented by a young lady whose parents worked with me down there in Cabramatta, volunteers, devoted members of our church. Well, she was as well in the past. But the day came, as we find in Luke chapter 15, verse 12, that she, like the younger brother, said to her parents, give me the freedom that this world gives. I want to make choices of my own. The church and the word of God is too restrictive for my liking. I want to go out and accept the acceptance or gain the acceptance of my peers. And as she did so, she dwindled into a life of alcohol, marijuana, cocaine use up to $300 three times a day. I've never seen that the doll pay so much because by now she had lost the ability to work and therefore, in order to be able to generate the income, she fell into prostitution and eventually started to dabble around with the occult. Oh, my friends, this group of people would be represented by the young man that those of you that have gone to big camp would have recognized. But the day came after, long after his parents, his mum had walked out on, on their marriage and left, that he, and his father had thrown him into his ministry and tried to, to just pour his energy into his ministry, that the young man observed his father always ready to help other people, that the young man who was battling with the... The, the separation of his parents eventually decided that maybe if dad can see that I'm also in trouble, maybe dad will have some time for me. So one Sabbath morning as his father stepped up to preach, the young man staggered down the aisle of his church as drunk as a skunk. And one of the elders grabbed him by the arm, pulled him out of the church, reprimanded him with the words, you disgraced your father's ministry. You disgraced this church. Leave and don't come back. I guess what he meant was don't come back in this condition. But what this young man heard was don't come back ever. And he vowed that he would never again put his foot in a Seventh-day Adventist church, set up two brothels in Fairfield as we were developing the Cabramatta Center. 
And there, after some time, discovered that the girls were starting, that was working for him, started to leave his service. And he wanted to know why, what is happening in their life, because he was keeping them drugged and depended on him for drugs uh, while he worked. Or she, they worked for him. And eventually they said to him, well, there's a new place that opened up in Cabramatta, which is different to all other places. He said, they're all the same. They said, not this one. They said, this one really cares about the people that come in. He said, show me, I don't believe you. And one Friday night, they brought him onto the streets of Cabramatta. And inside, they pointed to a building where the light was shining on the inside. Soft guitar music was playing, and Avondale students were singing inside. He recognized the logo on the, on the door and on the windows. And he turned on his, the ladies that worked for him as prostitutes. He screamed at them, saying to, to them, I know those people, they only abuse. You lie about them caring about people. It took months before he eventually came in, just sat down and observed to find out whether the caring part was true. If you were to attend big camp, you will find this young man behind the sound desk in big tent, mixing the sound every time a sermon is preached. A baptized, re-baptized re Adventist, and today an elder in his local church. The power of the transformation that God can bring. Oh, my friends, but there came a day in the, the life of this prodigal son in Luke 15, a day that came that he had spent everything that he had owned, that he had financially, and with no money meant that there was not, no money to buy food with, to throw parties with, and with no parties, his friends turned away from him, and with a gnawing hunger pain in his belly, he started to search around in the bags of his life. It was only then that he discovered that before he left, his father had stashed away something in the bottom of his bags. Have you noticed that in your own life? It is the church father Augustine that says that the restlessness that humanity finds within them is in reality a God-formed vacuum that God had created them with. Yes, that desire to be accepted by others, the desire to, to have accolades and approval from others, that desire to have the fastest car, the million by, by age 30, and all the nice things of this world is in reality a desire for something greater. And as we attain those things that we think that will numb or satisfy that desire, 
that emptiness, that void still exists because that deep inner need is in reality a search for God. I saw it in Cabramatta. As people even broke free from their addiction but had not yet accepted Jesus Christ, that there was that constant restlessness that brought them right back to the downfall until they accepted Jesus as their personal Savior. Oh, my friends, as this young man was scrouching around in the bottom of his bags, he discovered memories, memories of home, memories where in his father's home even those that worked for his father had far more than what he had at that moment. And he stood up and made a resolution to go back to his father in verse 17. Luckily in this parable, it is not all that is written because in this parable we also read not just of a prodigal son, but we also read of a prodigal father. Now, English is my third language. Help me, what does the word prodigal mean? Wayward or wasteful, extravagant. This father is extravagant in his grace towards his son. When all of this is happening, the father's curtains are drawn. Yes, the father's eyes are caught up on exactly the same horizon that drew his youngest son's eyes. And the father has a yearning as well. But this time, it is not a yearning for the far land, but rather a yearning for his youngest son to come back. Yes, my friends, this father is yearning his son back. Therefore, we read in this parable not only that the son came back in verse 32, we read that he was found back by the father. Something very interesting that is not written down in my notes, but which I'm tempted to just quickly share with you. As you observe the, the passage in Luke chapter 15, it identifies to us three different groupings of the lostness. When we read about the parable of the lost sheep, we see that the shepherd goes out to search for the lost because the sheep knows that it is lost but does not know the way back. And therefore, God represented by the shepherd goes in search for the lost. But then when we read about the parable of the lost coin, we see that we, the, the, the lost coin does not know it's lost, nor does it know the way back, and therefore we see that heaven is doing everything to gain that person back. But when it comes to the prodigal son, the lost son, who knows he's lost and also knows the way back, we see that the father does not go to search for him. He actually stays and yearns and waits for him to come back. 
I want for a few seconds just to talk to parents, mothers and fathers, grandparents, whose children has known the gospel, knows the way back but has left the church. Stop nagging your children, my friends. Stay on your knees. You will make your children just more rebellious to nag them. Stay on your knees praying for your children to come back. Create an atmosphere of love and warmth and acceptance where when they do spend time with you, that it, was, that it would be such a loving, profitable time for them that they will start to surge in the bags of their life and discover the memories of childhood that you had already invested in their life and that those memories, coupled with the Holy Spirit, will draw them back into the realm of the kingdom of God. I wish I could stop there in this parable. But friends, this parable continues because there is an older brother also coming up, but I have just skipped this section, and that is I first want to talk very briefly to those that might find themselves as a prodigal younger brother in church this morning. My friend... I want to thank you for being here today, but I want to remind you this morning of a father that went outside with open arms to welcome his son back in. I want to invite you to search through the bags of your life to discover the memories of that father in verse 20 in our parable, to see the opened curtains, to look into his eyes this morning and to see the yearning in his heart for you to come back. And I want to challenge you this morning that it doesn't matter where you have been, it doesn't matter what you have done, to stand up, to confess your sins and to discover the atoning embrace and kiss of that father, that as you confess your sins, he kisses your confession away and restores you into sonship and daughtership in the kingdom of God. Come back, my friend. There is no better time than today. I wish I could stop there. But the parable goes on with an older brother and the Greek original language fits so well because the word that is used for the elder is the word hopresbiteros, which is translated as the elder. The, the English word presbyter comes from this Greek word. What does the word presbyter mean? The Presbyterian Church uses this word because they are a church led by the leadership of the elder, right? Presbyter, the elder. In other words, the church leader, the one that leads others in their spiritual walk. When Jesus referred to the younger son, look in verse 1 and verse 2 of chapter 15. He says, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. Those are the 
younger brother. And the Pharisees, in other words, the church leaders, the elders, and the scribes complained, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. There's your two groups in this parable, the older and the younger. The one is the wayward people. The others are those that are in church and even taking the lead in the church. A good man, this older brother, which stayed faithfully with his father when the younger brother so rudely left his father, correct? And I guess a pretty picture that we expect the father to paint about this, young, this older brother. A good man. The neighbors, I guess, would have loved their daughter to fall in love with this man. A great catch to become their son-in-law must also be a great picture that Jesus is going to paint about this man. That is what we would think, except that there's a surprise waiting for us this morning. You see, my friends, when Jesus takes the paintbrush to paint the picture of this man in this parable, he paints it far darker than that of the younger brother. Come with me. It is as if God is wanting to say to us as Christians that we can sometimes try to use the church and religion as a hiding place from really hearing what the Word of God wants to say to us. It's not the first time that we've done it. We so often do it. Yes, the story in Luke 19 verse 3, the story of Zacchaeus, we tell our children the story, the sanctified version, that the reason why Zacchaeus could not see Jesus is why? Because he was a short little man, right? But as I read my Bible, my Bible speaks differently. My Bible says to me that Zacchaeus could not see Jesus because of the crowd. And secondary that he was a short little man. Have you ever considered who the crowd was? Jesus was always surrounded by religious people. Remember that Israel was a nation of religious people. It was the attitude of people that blocked Zacchaeus from seeing Jesus. Is it possible that that could be true of us as well? Is it possible in our eagerness to have the right theology, the right teaching, that in our attitude for that, our vigor for that, that we can in actual fact damage and hurt people. Please, I am not saying that doctrine is not important, but what I am saying is that our attitude as representatives of Jesus Christ, while we present the right doctrine, needs to be in place as well. Take, for instance, my friends, coming back to the story of the prodigal son, take, for instance, the name that we have given this parable. What is the heading in your Bible? 
My Bible says the parable of the lost son, singular or plural. Plural or singular? Singular. Because the translators, and by the way, it's in italics, printed in italics, which is an indication that it's not part of the original, but it is the Christian translators that only see one lost son in this parable. Why would we ever see ourselves as being lost? Closing ourselves off for the message, my dear friend, that Scripture really wants to give us. And as I spend time in that early morning with God, as God reflects back to me this parable into my own life, I need to face the reality that sometimes in my past I also had misrepresented Him. And most probably through that misrepresentation, had blocked people from seeing Jesus. Let's take a further look at this oldest son, this elder, this church leader, in terms of his behavior and his attitude. He did stay at home with his father in verse 25. But my question is, my friends, is he really with his father? Gentlemen, I've been married now for 35 years, and it took me 35 years to come to the realization that your, my wife can very quickly see whether I'm present or not. I can be right there next to him, to, to her, and she would say to me, you're not present. Is it possible that this young man, this oldest son, what stayed with his father when his, his younger brother left, but in reality was not with his father. So also so many of us, we spend the entire week doing our own thing, busy with our own stuff. It is only on Sabbath we, that we come to church and sometimes even to come and sleep as well. He's not really with his father, my friends. Because, my dear friend, if he was with his father, he would have seen the drawn curtains. If he really was with his father, he would have seen the burning pain in his father's eyes as he kept on gazing to the road that led to the far land. And if he was truly with his father, the passion of his father's heart would affect his heart. And he would have gone down to the stables, saddled up a camel, and he would have left for the far land in search for his younger brother, and when he had found his younger brother, he would have knelt down next to him and said, No, brother, allow me to help you on the road back home because dad is suffering too much if both of us are not home. Are you with me on that point? 
This is one of the major things that this parable would like to bring to us, namely that when the younger brother, the sinner, is found, it is not only the father that has received a son back, but it is the elder, the church leader, that receives a brother back. Look at the play of words in verse 30. The older brother refers to his younger brother as this son of yours. But the father corrects him in verse 32, saying to him, this brother of yours. He may be a churchman. He even might be the pastor of the church, the leader of the congregation, the head elder, but he still has not yet understood the first rule of God's church, namely that in God's church you do not judge anymore. You ready for this one? He can only gossip in verse 30, creates suspicion on his brother. He says in verse 30, this son of yours has devoured your wealth with prostitutes. How does he know it? How did he know it? Did he in reality saddle up a camel and went to spy on his younger brother in the far land? Or do we see here a psychological phenomena often found by people that know that they are doing something against their own conscience? That when I stand behind the door, I'm always looking for someone else to stand there as well. In other words, I place the suspicion on someone else for the sin that is deep in my heart but which I just do not have the courage to commit. He is a churchman but he has not even yet started to walk the Christian walk because with conviction he says that he has never neglected any commandment of his father in verse 29. In other words, he does not even know his own sins and the commandment of God to love your own brother he has not heard of yet. It is so easy for us as church people, as Christians, to, to make up our own commandments and to believe that in keeping our commandments, our rules, our regulations, that we are keeping God's commandments. And my friends, the worst is that we need to see in this parable in his relationship with God as a work-reward relationship, a relationship between a slave and a master. In verse 21 he says, look for so many years I've been serving you. May I add in italics my addition like a slave and you have never given me a young goat to make merry with my friends. While he knows that everything that his father owns already belongs to him in verse 31. He doesn't need to work for it. He doesn't need to earn it. But he slaves ahead. He works for a wage, for a master. No wonder that he can have no grace and no mercy, not even for his own brother. No wonder that he cannot experience joy in his relationship 
at home with his father and his brother. He labors ahead with the only hope, no different to his younger brother, that his father will die soon and everything that belongs to his father then will become his. It's no different with so many Christians that the only bit of joy and hope that they have is that maybe, hopefully, one day when Jesus comes, that the scales will tip into their favor and that God will not in their direction and say, okay, okay, come in. While Scripture is clear that if I am found in Jesus Christ, I have eternal life. I've already said the worst, my friends. The worst is still to come, and that is that we have to read in this passage that the father had to go outside to plead with this elder brother, this Christian, to come in into the kingdom of God in verse 28. It therefore seems as if for the churchmen it is of greater need of conversion than those that are out there in the world. All that the younger son had to do was to confess his sins and stand up and come to his father and his father embraced him and welcomed him home. When it comes to the older brother, he first had to be begged. It seems as if he not only had to be converted from his sins, but he even had to be converted from his virtues. And then comes the compelling question, Namely, did he come in? What does the Bible say about the entry into the kingdom of God of that of the churchman, the whole presbyteros, into the kingdom of God? The answer is, my dear friend, that we do not know. We do not know whether the churchman, the church leader, came into the kingdom of God. Jesus leaves the entry of the churchman, the elder, into the kingdom of God as an open-ended question, unanswered. It, is, it seems as if Jesus would like to say through this parable to us as a church people that by going to church and doing, doing all the right things does not save us. By keeping our, the rules and the regulations and by steering away from walking the road to the far land does not mean that I am in, in the kingdom of God while I still hate and refuse the entry of my younger brother into the kingdom of God. Oh, my friends, this is the point that I want to close with if I would not like to find myself this morning in the life of the younger brother. I need to find myself in the story of the older brother. 
because God doesn't give me any other option. Even if it is only a little bit to find myself in there. The good news is this, though, that if I would find myself in the life of the oldest son today, that it would not mean that there is no hope because Scripture in the book of Hebrews tells me that the Father also went outside. Jesus went outside, Hebrews 13 verse 12, went outside the gate to suffer, to cleanse His people through His blood. He went outside to invite us in as well. I would like to suggest that he has left the entry of the churchman into the kingdom of heaven as an open-ended question because there's only one person that can respond to that question and that is you, that is me. Whether I, whether you have responded to that call the story is told of a daddy that was busy reading the story and the bedtime stories, preparing his young little girl for bedtime. He himself has had a major fight with his own brother and they had not spoken for many, many years since the funeral of their father. And as the father finished reading the story, the little girl was not ready for prayer because she had a few questions in her mind. She quickly sat up and she stopped at dad as he wanted to pray. She said, Daddy, Daddy, wait. Tell me, did the older brother come in? It's amazing how God uses our children or even our grandchildren to touch our hearts, isn't it? Daddy was silent because he, he recalled the unrepaired relationship with his brother. And the urgency in the little girl grew stronger as she got out of the bed, out of the sheets, and she sat on her daddy's lap. She looked up at his father who just gazed in the distance. She said, Daddy, tell me, did, 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 did the older brother come in? The father was hearing the Holy Spirit talking to him. But the little girl reached up to her father's face and she turned the daddy's face down to her. And as the tears started to run down her cheek with emotion, she begged as she pleaded. She said, Daddy, tell me, did he come in? And the father responded, saying, yes, my child, I am coming in. My dear friend, how is it today in your life? You have journeyed this Christian walk for many, many years. Most likely you know far more about the Word of God and truths out of Scripture than most other people out there. My question this morning is not about that. My question is, how is it in your walk with Jesus Christ a year early in 2019? Have you responded to the call of Jesus to come in?
as we sing prayerfully the last hymns, hymn number is it 309, I Surrender All. I invite you to sing it, but to sing it prayerfully, to focus on the words, and let us make a decision today to come in into the kingdom of God as he's waiting and inviting us.